Hello and welcome to episode 15 of the Pub Meeple Podcast. I'm Gary. Shaq here. Proper Brian. And just Brian. And in this episode, we talk about a few tips for teaching games. Yep, and we cover everything from prepping for the game all the way through, even after the game is over. Then we, we also managed to talk about a few gaming fails. I get to ask Shuck for forgiveness for something that's kind of been been carrying with me for a while here. I was there for that game. Oh, yeah. yeah. It was a moving experience uh, for me. Brian and I had popcorn and kind of cried, cried a little bit. All right. Well, with that in mind, sit back, grab a brew, and uh, listen to the Pub Meeple podcast. And some popcorn. All right, guys. Uh, well, first uh, first recording of the new year, right? Hey, Ooh, uh, happy hello, new hey, year! Cheers, happy new year, everyone. New year. Let's clink some, hey. clink some bottles. All right, um, we're glad. Uh, <laughs> we're glad you guys are with us. Let's go ahead. Let's. What, what brews do we have with us? Let's start off with, as we always do. I, I actually. I want to hear proper Brian. I, I share a passion for this drink. So. No, I think I've talked about this before, and tonight I actually don't have a brew, so I'm I'm cheating, because uh, my tummy's been a little unsettled recently so i didn't feel like putting coffee or beer on it so i brought a, a topo chico just a, a nice is it bubbly water it looks like it's the lime though correct yeah it's uh, i love the topo chico lime. that's that's topo, my, that's my yeah, favorite topo chico so that's it for me tonight though is but hey it comes some, in a bottle yummy water <laughs> for, for a minute there i thought that you and gary both had the same thing no <laughs> green bottle no yeah and so yeah so there you go i've got um Stella Artois. Artois. Yeah. Artois. Um, it's a beer that I, I really used to like a lot, and then I kind of moved away from it. For whatever reason, I found that it's one that if I want a little bit of a lighter beer, mm -hmm. and um, especially when I'm when I'm kind of hanging out with some beer, I have a friend or two that like to drink beer while we play games, but they don't want anything heavy. Like, I can't bring, like, a, a quad to them, okay? Like, that's yeah. just not their style. So, But if I know if I pick up some Stellas, like, they like those, so... Um, that's why I had some in my fridge. Yeah, when I was doing like a quad phase where that's all I wanted, I couldn't drink the Stella Trois. It was just no. Little, but but now that I've I've kind of you know kind of come full circle and can tolerate some like yeah. I actually like it now. So. Yeah, actually I like I like it. I know I know it's not your you don't really like it, Chuck. Nah, no, not really. No, and I you know like I said I was with you at one point. I was like yeah. I swore it off. I was like I don't like it anymore. I yeah, I was kind of the same. And way. my beer tastes have changed. So yeah, yeah, so that's what I've got now. How it's about just, it? It's just maturity. You yeah, matured. And I've matured and Sean hasn't. Oh no! <laughs> no. No, no, no. Speaking of things we like, though, Sean, yeah. what do you have? Uh, so it has a little bit of a story behind it. Um, New Year's Eve, where I was going to get drinks for the New Year's Eve, you know, for the clinking and the clanking. And uh, I had already gotten some 1554, and I had to go to another place for something else that we needed. And they said it was a December beer, 10% off. And I saw the last three philosophers sitting on the shelf, so it was mine. Yeah. And uh, that's what I'm drinking tonight because it's delicious. Yes, yeah. it is. Yeah. Three philosophers. Oh, my gang, right? Yeah. It's yeah. Great. Um, I, I wouldn't say it's a great brewery, but I think that's the only beer I've ever had of theirs. I've been told there's some others that are, are really good. I, you and I actually had one of their, um, oh, I can't remember. It's not the Saison, but the Hespin or something. You and yeah. I had one night, and it was all right. Oh, okay, yeah. I think I remember that. Yeah, yeah, it, was, it, was it was okay. Was, it wasn't enough to leave bad. a strong impression. It just well, wasn't. We just thought it was going to be the next three philosophers yeah. just in a different you know, but but you know. Yeah. What about you? Um, I got a, a New Belgium fat tire, which is pretty pretty much everywhere. I think everybody knows what the fat yeah. tire is, and it's a, it's just an amber New Belgium's amber beer, and it's just it, we we know what we're gonna get when we open that bottle. That, so I agree. That's kind of again, that's almost like a Stella for yeah, me. Yeah. It's it's not my favorite, but it, it's I know what I'm getting. Shuck's over there with like this disgusted <laughs> look yeah. on his face. Shuck hates think, it too. I think for Shuck, that fat tire is actually a flat tire. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm really. Surprised, I guess, that I love 1554 as much as I do because the fat tires. Well, so this is actually, uh, you know, when I was 21 and first going to a bar and I had something other than a Bud Light, a friend passed me a fat tire and it was like the heaviest thing I'd ever had at that point. And yeah, now yeah, it's I like the imagine. lightest thing that I drink. So. Well, I, I guess I'm just, I have a little sentimental attachment to it. I don't get it often. It, it just on a, on a whim, I'll pick up one like in a make your own six pack thing um, because it was my entry into New Belgium beers. And from there, I was like, hey, let's. 1554 thing. Let's try that out, and that has been that consistently yeah. one of my favorite beers. I, I love it. Chuck loves it. I know you you like it as well. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it, mm. It's a black quad, and it's um, the best I mean, black I'm, quad on that. Like it's a black like lager. Eight, I'm sorry, black it's a black lager. Yeah. lager. And it's the best one at that eight dollar six pack price point. Yeah, I mean, for it's, sure. It's kind of like a, easy. It's, it's a value. Yeah. 
so I guess uh, let's move on to some games. What have you guys been playing in the new year? Or, or, or to end out 2018? Probably in the old year, yeah. Yeah. Well, so, how about you? Yeah, so uh, for me, a lot of the gaming has been around Christmas presents that my kids got. So I guess the, the big one for me anyway was Fireball Island came in from the Kickstarter that they did uh, earlier in the year, I guess it was. And yeah. it came in in like in November and I knew I was going to give that to my kids for Christmas. And so I just kind of had to put it up and not look at it and not want to get it out. And, but I wanted to get it out. But uh, so they finally opened it up on Christmas day and we finally broke it out. And that's a really fun uh, I mean, it's a, it's a chaotic game, it, just like the original was, but it, I mean, less so. But I mean, there's more. You have more choices, more decisions in what you're doing, and the game's more focused and I think more fun too. But my kids had an absolute blast with it, like dropping those marbles into that volcano and watching them, you know, roll down and knock people so, off. So, so it was a hit with your kids. Oh, I mean, absolutely. That most important thing of all is yeah. They loved it. Yeah, and it was a hit with me too. I really okay, enjoyed so, it. So. so you mean you were you were right there yeah. with them? Yeah, the production quality is great. Restoration Games did a great job with it. So see, I actually knew you had it, and I wanted to talk to you about it after you played it, because you know you you'll go online, and you'll see people say, well, you know, complain about this or that. But I thought really it seemed like the game was, from what I could tell, was everything it was meant to be. Like it's not meant to be a deep, complex game. It's meant no. to be a fun, kind of wild, slightly chaotic. So story, right? One of the things that they say they want to do when they remake a game is they want to recreate the experience that you got playing it when you were younger. We've talked about this before with like Hero Quest. You get that game out, and it's kind of like, oh, this isn't really what I remember, yeah. you know, because your memory of it is 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 so different than what you're experiencing well, now. You played Descent, right? So you're like, oh, right. Like and so, right. but what Restoration Games has said that their goal is is so that when you get it out and play it. It is what you remember it being because it's better. You know, it's a it's a better game now than it was then, and so it, it kind of that nostalgia, like it kind of supports it instead of destroying it. So they did that with this game. It's great. Okay. So if you're wanting to experience that, you know, 1980s Fireball Island vibe, then man, that game it's good. Go for it. Speaking of uh, restoration games. We got uh, quite a few plays of Downforce in. I was going to ask you um, about Downforce. For, for Christmas, I, brought, I broke it out for my family. I wasn't sure because it's, it's a little heavier than what they're used to. It's not really that heavy, but it, it's a little bit more yeah, going the, on. Yeah, what some of the families used they, to. They were kind of confused at first about you know what some of the rules were and how it was working. Because like, you start off with an auction, but you kind of have to know what the game does before you kind of really understand oh. what the auction does. And trying to explain that ahead of time is a little confusing. But we finished it. And it was like, as soon as we were done, like, oh, let's play again. Good and reaction. That, that's, yeah. that's a great reaction from uh, family. One of the reasons I had to break it out was because I got the Mario Kart yeah. cars. Yeah. I kind of hinted to my brother that I wanted the Mario Kart Monopoly, and, you know, mostly for the cars. But uh, the game's not too bad. No, it, the game's not bad. That's I, another I, one we, I got. I played play. the game, too, with some four- and five-year-olds. It's a little too long for their attention span, but it wasn't bad. It was a, definitely a lot better but, than Monopoly. So you're using the Mario Kart gamer cars yes in downforce yes i did not realize that's what you were doing that's yeah. amazing yeah that's there's awesome. been there's been some bgg posts where people have done that those cars fit perfectly in the spaces oh my god and i believe they have at least a, a one-to-one for the colors too so the yeah, cards well, that you use I, that I you didn't play have, have the same colors than what you're playing on the cards right i didn't have all the colors I, he'd only give me two extra cars but we were able to you know use them and say well this is going to be the yellow one even though it was pink yeah so, so now you can play downforce cool. with mario kart Okay, and then, so then you still have Mario Gamer yeah. when you want to play that, but sure. now you've got like like a tricked out copy of Downforce. That yeah. is amazing. I did not realize that's what you were doing. It's really cool. The the Downforce, if you're not familiar with it, like I said, you have an auction. Everybody gets their own car that you're trying to root for. Uh, while you're playing, you have some cards in hand, and they have colors and numbers associated to them, and you can move. You move every car on that card based on the number and color and the order that it's on. So it's you're not just manipulating your car you're manipulating everybody's and it that is very cool it's it's a really interesting way and then like three times throughout the game you change your bid or your bet on like who you think's going to win and so you it you, that's kind of how you get your points at the end of the game is based on who actually wins versus who you bet on that's cool okay so it's pretty fun um so you've talked highly about this one it's it's a good it's probably my favorite racing game right now i did not realize some of that stuff so now it's I mean, I wanted to play it just because you wanted to play it. But now like, I want to play it just because I want to see how that 
in game plays out where like you're betting you're bidding on the uh, on the winner. I want to see that now. It's good. Would right. you have you play anything, Gary? Lately? Yeah, I guess we'll start with. Um, I picked up a blitz bowl for my son and I. Oh yeah, Ooh. and um, we had man great time. The human and orc team that comes in the box was good. I mean, it, it's it takes what was like a big crunchy long game in blood bowl. We tried to play blood bowl one time and. Atticus like never again, Dad. You know, like, I spent too much time in the rules. <laughs> it's just so crunchy, and uh, and just a lot of rules in that game. And so I still want to play that with someone. But um, like Blitz Bowl basically takes a lot of that flavor. You cut your team down from twelve guys to six guys, and it plays in under an hour. And in fact, yesterday he he beat me. It would have been in about fifteen to twenty minutes, but he had mercy on me and said, "Well, let's ignore that end game rule." and keep going until the cards go out. And then after a while, he was just tr leading me so bad. He's like, you're never catching up, Dad. You know, let's go ahead and, and end. But, um, yeah, it was great. Good times. And then I, because I'm me, I'd already uh, knew it was going to be under the tree, so I, I went ahead and got a, an extra team for it. The Skaven, <laughs> the Rat Dudes, and they're amazing. They've got Rats. a dude who's, yeah, the rat, rat Men, yeah. And they've got a dude who's the fastest guy on the team in the game. And Atticus scored on turn one with him, which was just amazing. I was like, Amazed that he figured it out, like just how to work it out. So, so it was awesome. All right. So just Brian, um, how about you? What do you get? What game did you get in? The most recent game, I guess the most notable one I played is I played a, a five-player game of Twilight Imperium Fourth Edition. Oh yeah, that is that's pretty notable. That's very notable. Yeah, and it was kind of it's like a life experience. It was, it was, <laughs> which was cool because I not only did I get to to pl finally play Twilight Imperium, but I also got to play the newest edition. So it makes it kind of relevant. Yeah. For we're kind of talking about and it was good it was good it was uh six hours i think is what we got it in so not too bad for for that game and for its reputation and um, that includes like we the first hour which we spent in in a rules kind of scenario uh, Wait, that included that included teaching some teaching that's, time wow, that's a lot of amazing. us came to the table with a good idea of what was going on before we sat down but but only like two of them had a full understanding of the game so they had to bring the rest of us up to speed so the six hours includes that yeah, it was good. I lost pretty epically and had a good time doing it. Well, yeah, so you had a great time with the game. Yeah, for those of you who don't know, Twilight Imperium is a uh, 4X game, which is, for those of you who don't know what that is, that is kind of your your civilization-building military kind of experience, like what you might imagine uh, Age of Empires on the PC from way back in the day, but now kind of a tabletop version. What you're doing is you're, you're basically expanding your empire, you are exploiting resources, you are exterminating the enemy, and then you're doing one other X. I never can remember all four X's. Uh, Expand? <laughs> you, yeah, you're yeah. expanding. Yeah, expanding. I try to forget my X's. Um, <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. But what makes this game a little different and uh, what kind of gives it its flavor is uh, there's a diplomatic phase where new laws are voted on throughout the game by the people at the table. And so there's some diplomacy that happens. Oh, and wow. that's like game changing. I did not know yeah, that. so at the end of each, uh, well, in this edition at least, at the end of the rounds after someone has taken the middle planet we start we start changing some of the global rules for everyone and we get to vote on them in some way and, and a lot of that has to do with the kind of influence that you have acquired on the board it's it's that that part's pretty cool what do you think about the tech tree the tech tree is pretty straightforward in this one i don't know i can't compare it to the older game i was told it's been more streamlined yeah it was it was kind of a mess in the in yeah the, it, it wasn't it wasn't a, it was just hard it wasn't bad it, what i noticed not knowing anything else about the game the prior editions you know, this tech tree is all in cards that go on your player mat. So when you get the ability, it's basically you get to see it. And when you don't have the ability, you don't have to worry about it. I don't know if that's how the old one worked or not. It is pretty much a straightforward tech tree, though. In order to get a thing, you have to have cards preceding it that kind of open that up. And but so they're, they're not specific cards, though. That was the hard part about the third edition was you had to constantly reference, okay, to get this one, I need... X specific one, X specific one, and X specific oh, one. Oh, I see. And this one, I think you just need, you just need a certain icon. number of colors. There's, a, there's an right. icon that's right. also a color. And as long as you have this, the Which prerequisite for so this needs to, two of the green <laughs> icons. And so I just have to go and, and, and tech up in two of those green icons first. And that was good. Uh, all in all, for the gameplay, and for those of you who haven't played it and want to know, like, what is this game about? And, and you don't know if you'll ever get to play it. The game that it's, and I meant, oh, I meant to do my research before I, I showed up at this podcast. So I'm going to leave it to everybody listening to do it. The game plays a lot like Star Wars Rebellion. And when I say a lot, I want to say 
it's derived. And I th- I wouldn't be surprised if it's from the same game designers. I should have looked that up before I, ca- I, I sat down at the table. Is that Corey Kanitska? Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, it is. I think they're, they're both. I think Star Wars Rebellion more so, but uh, he definitely had a big hand in the, the later editions of Twilight. Okay. Too. If you want to play, I mean, you're not going to get the tech tree that you get in Twilight Imperium, and you're not going to get the diplomatic phase, which is, those are two really big pieces to Twilight Imperium. But if you want to get the basic mechanics down, or even if you just want to play a game like it, so when you jump into Twilight Imperium, you'll already have some idea of how the, the battle mechanic works. You'll have some idea on how... Um, activation. Yeah, act, yeah, especially activation. and, and Like how you activate systems to move mm-hmm. and things like that. Yes. Yep. Star Wars Rebellion does, like one, each faction does a part of Twilight Imperium. So the Rebels kind of do a lot more of the um, objective-based scoring that you're doing in Twilight, that everybody's doing in Twilight Imperium, where the Imperial in Star Wars Rebellion is doing a lot more of the movement and military campaigning that you're, that, that everybody's also doing in Twilight Imperium. And so it, it's almost as if you get to play one of two big pieces of the game when you play Star Wars Rebellion. And so, you know, that, that'd be a, a good comparison to go by. That's an interesting kind of comparison. Yeah. Like, I, hadn't, I hadn't thought about it that way. So that's, yeah, that's really interesting. It's pretty cool. I guess, and you're talking about teaching, I guess we can use that to segue, because you're talking about the teach with that. We can talk, I guess, we'll just go ahead and segue into our main subject for the night. And this is something that we have kind of referenced a little bit on the podcast, and I know we've talked about a lot, is teaching games. You know, you, 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 get, you get that group together, and you're ready to teach them this game that, you know, this, that you've been excited about, and then you realize you, you didn't come prepared, or you forgot some rules, you know, or, or you weren't organized. Sometimes that teaching can be just a nightmare, right? And then other times, sounds like, yeah, it was a long teach, but everyone got what they needed for Twilight Imperium, and then the game was pretty good, right? You guys enjoyed it. So we just kind of like to talk a little bit about teaching tips. And I think we all have some teaching fails, you know. Yeah, we want to discuss <laughs> yeah. after the after Our the teaching tips. walks of, you know, the, the the walk of shame there that we had to do on the way out of the the game night. So um, I guess to kind of kick us off, because you've done put down some thoughts on this, Proper Ryan, would you care to kind of kick us off on the teaching topic? Sure. So this discussion that we're having right now is going to be based on an article that we put up on our on our website a while back called Tips for Teaching. And that it was just designed as a, more for me when I wrote it, it was like kind of this info dump of all these ideas and thoughts that I had had about teaching games, because I've been teaching games a long time and I've made some really big mistakes teaching games and Gary you mentioned us actually teaching the game but I mean when we think about like the people we are teaching and the experience that they're having that's that like for me whenever I'm preparing to teach a game that's who I'm thinking about I'm not I'm not thinking about uh, me necessarily I'm trying to think about the people that I'm getting ready to teach because that's ultimately who we're you know we're trying to share the game with is them right yeah I mean that and I think that's an an important note is that you're going with the right mindset that you're trying to create the best experience for the other people at the table. Right. And, then, and by extension, you're going to have a good time too. And, and so the way that the article was broken down, the way we'll probably do uh, this discussion is I want to talk about actually prepping to teach and then the teaching time and then some game time and then post game. And one of the first things that, that I want to bring up is, is something I call the learning game. And when I'm teaching a game to people for the first time they've played it is I want to make it clear that they know that, hey, this is a learning game so that they can feel free to make mistakes, feel free to ask questions. When we start the game, I'll even tell them, hey, I'm going to offer a restart after a round or so. It's just so that you can see how the game works. And if you want to restart now knowing what you know, you can make better decisions. That's the the learning game. Concept. I've had people offer that before. And that's actually really cool. Have you have any have you guys ever done that where you play like a round or two? And then say, okay, let's reset because, you know, it's at that point, it's usually not very hard, right? You haven't taken many resources or whatever. I've had people offer that uh, on a couple of occasions. And I felt like as a learner in that situation, that was that was incredibly helpful. Have you ever had that happen? I have not done that, no. Well, at least at least stating up front that, hey, you know, we're, we're here to learn the game, not to destroy each other in the game. Sounds yeah. like a good idea. Uh, probably something I should try, especially with – non-gamers types that, that don't yeah. do yeah. good with rules dumps. I start the I start games cuz cuz one of my big philosophies in teaching games if there is a if they're the closest thing I come to a consistent methodology is uh, getting them to play as quickly as possible 
getting them to do things as close to the time they sat down at the table as I can because that engages them and I feel like that's when learning really starts. Mm -hmm. But the problem with that is, is depending on the players at the table, some of them are very uncomfortable with doing suboptimal turns. And so getting the option to restart, especially if it's mentioned up front, would let them take some risks yeah. and make mistakes without feeling like this is going to ruin the next two hours of, of my fun. You know? Well, and again, yeah. this is something that is time sensitive. Obviously, if you're running short on time, it's it's not something that's feasible to do. But at least you can say, hey, we're all learning this together. Yeah. Let's, you know, let's let's treat it that way and not treat it like, yeah. you know. It's, it's possibly from game to game, too. And I think this will be true for a lot of things we talk about. Um, some games offer some certain teaching styles better than others because of either time constriction or because of mechanics. I was thinking about what I just said about uh, wanting to start playing as quickly as possible and being okay to make mistakes. And and for that reason, I try to avoid that rule dump so many times. But when I played Twilight Imperium 4, the guy teaching it, Ned, he did a perfect job, and he did exactly what he needed to do because, to be honest with you, we don't have we don't have time to make suboptimal moves one or two turns, we don't have time to reset. Game. And and that game, you, there's so much an investment that four hours later, I don't want it to be because of something I did at the beginning of the game. So in that case, we couldn't avoid the rule dump. Right. You know, we couldn't avoid, and, and I think he understood that, and he did a great job making this as succinct as possible. But that is also kind of an exception to the rule. I don't think that's the norm, uh, you know. I was going to say it kind of depends on your audience a yeah. little bit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that's something that I took into consideration during, you know, our Christmas playthroughs of different games like i tried a game council verona i tried it and it seemed a little too complicated for the people i was playing so i brought out diamonds diamonds is a whole that lot easier it's very quick we played through around and then like oh let's play again and it's you get it more and more every time you play it that so to me it's more of a sometimes i'll just bring out a shorter game as opposed to a well restart. they also already have some experiences that are similar to diamonds true like See, spades I, or hearts kind of i thing. think shuck brings up a good point and it's something i didn't even think about in preparing for this sometimes you want to teach a game and you're gonna try to force it or you're gonna go and it's gonna it's just not gonna feel right. There have been a couple of times, especially with family, I know with my wife, there have been a couple of times where I've said about twenty or thirty minutes into it, hey, let's call this. I don't think it's a good night for it, or you seem to be getting really frustrated. But I think what like Chuck talked about just now was really great, is not being so set on a game. He had a backup. And so he said, Hey look, you know what, I thought this game would work great for this group. Hey, it's not. No big deal. And then he brings out a game that you said was a hit with him, right? Like, yeah, we played it like probably ten times. Okay, so so then so but so then but see, that's talking about that experience. Shut created a great experience for them and he didn't he had a backup and he he didn't force Console run and I'm sure had you gone through the whole game because it's not that we, we bad did again. we did finish it okay uh, it just did because it's a short game so it's good. not like you yeah. it's not like you forced him into a two hour game you know it was a 15 20 minute game they didn't really like it you said hey let's put this up I think that was really smart in that sometimes so you offered to restart but just with a different game yeah <laughs> yeah but, I mean and with a short game you can afford to do that you know he had the one 15 minute player whatever and they were like man he could tell hey that so I think well you that's read actually really you read good. your audience and that's another big point is. Like when you're getting a game out and you're going to present it to people, ideally, hopefully, you know, you can know your audience. Like, you know that you're not going to, Chuck, you're not going to offer them, uh, I don't know. Twilight Imperium 4. Yeah. No. 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 <laughs> hey, mom and Uncle Frank, or, come or over Zaya, here. Yes. You know, you got, or something you got eight like hours? that. Yeah. Like, you, you're not going to offer that because you know, you, and, you know and them. As a matter of fact, I think next time I get with them, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring Koo. Because they like bluffing yeah. games. Oh, yeah. And and that's the reason why we played Council of Verona first was they like bluffing games. We need a copy games. of Skull, man. Uh, that would actually that's probably what, go really well yeah, with them. Yeah, we need – yeah, um, that's, that's kind of the – yeah. Yeah. See, kind of the yeah. But that's – again, I mean, that's, that's the main point is knowing your audience. And sometimes on the fly saying, hey, I, I honestly thought this was going to be a great game for us. Maybe we need to do that reset or maybe – I need to put this one up after this, especially right. when it's a quick game. You're like, hey, look, we can all chuck that up to we had, you know, we learned a little something and then let's pull out something that's better. I think that's that's actually really smart. How does that, how does the reset fit into kind of our concept where we teach an aspect of the game, let them practice it, but we go ahead and let those consequences roll because they're kind of, they're kind of 
nominal consequences. So like how we, we've mentioned before with like Great Western Trail, you just start with a little bit extra cash. You start with a little bit shorter game now. We thought those two things were really good for first-time plays. Is that kind of a similar idea to the kind of offer and the reset? Let them, let them practice a little bit before we actually play? Yes. So And I think in that kind of situation, you don't even need the reset. That's The reset is more for games that it's harder to understand how all the mechanics fit together before the game starts. Okay. You know, and when that's the case, and all of a sudden people are having kind of these aha moments of, oh, I see why this is like it is. Or so why games where like all the cogs work together and there's like not a... Because I know like when we learned the gallerist, where do you start with that game? Because you got to, you almost have to just kind of, uh, you know, blindfold, turn around a few times and point your finger at something. And that's where you start because wherever you start, it's going to touch into another part of the game yeah. that's going to that's gonna spin the wheel. That was a hard teach. I struggle teaching that. Because so that might be a great example of when you do that. Because you right. start teaching one aspect and then you realize, well, it, it touches on something else. Yeah. Do I want to go to that other action space or say, put a pin in that, we'll come right back to mm -hmm. it. I, I struggle with it. One thing I think I need to do for that game, and I was going to bring this point up, all three of you have done this in games I've played with you guys. I know, uh, Chuck, I'm thinking your cheat sheet for the colonists. Mm -hmm. Now, if it's a game you really love and you have the time, and I think that's a good point. Like, if, if you don't have the time for it, this is not something you can obviously do, but creating a little cheat sheet, even if it's something really quick. Last time we played the colonists, he had a... And cheat sheet. I'd already played the game, but there's a lot to that game. And so by him having that, I bet it cut out 10 to 15 minutes of us just mm -hmm. looking at the rule. Wouldn't you I say? I think it only took like 10 minutes maybe to go through the rules because we had the cheat sheet. Yeah. And once we started going, I didn't have as many questions. I had a cheat sheet. And then so there's might have been one or two times in the whole two or three hours that I asked you for the rule book because most of what I needed was there. Now he's already got it completed and it's probably mostly completed. You know, yeah. yeah. I mean, but so it's. You know, at, if we played with it in the version it's, it is now, I'd need the rule book even less. So some games come with a really great player aid. Other games, you can find one already made on BGG. And then sometimes, if it's a game you just really like or you, you feel that you've stumbled upon a good way, like the whole thing about with we've talked about Star Wars Rebellion, teaching it and saying, hey, think about it like a worker placement game. And that kind of makes some things easier to understand. Maybe just create a, like a little one-page document to give to people or something like that. So I, we're kind of talking about prepping for the game right now, and that actually feeds into one of the one of the tips is to, after you, and I don't think you can replace reading a rule book. You've got to read the rule book. Uh, even, even with all the videos out there and stuff, reading is just a different learning form than a video, and I think both of them are good. I think you, when you layer learning like that, it helps to do both. So I don't think you can replace reading the rules, but if you have the time, going back and actually summarizing those rules like write it down like what yeah. like what Chuck did for this that's where some of the rule summaries came from that are on our site is just after I got done reading the rules I was like okay I want to I want I want to cement this in my brain and give myself away in the future when I haven't played it in eight months or a year get this back out and quickly be able to refresh myself on it so actually sit down and like bullet point out the rules it doesn't have to be anything special just it helps me a lot. It, it cements it in my brain and helps me be able to teach it better because I have an actual resource there to read off of. Uh, speaking of preparation, I think one of the problems that I have when I go to a group is I go to my shelf in my closet and I look at all my games and I'm thinking, oh, I want to play that and I want to play that and I want to play that and I want to play that. and I, wanna... I get too many games and then I don't read the rules. I think maybe sometimes it's better just to pick a few games. Remember, try to think of your audience. Think of the who you're playing with and then pick a few games that you like that you think that would work really well with them and make sure you know the rule books before you teach it. That's something refreshing I'm terrible at. Like I'm really bad at not prepping the rule book before I go teach a game. And then we're like in the middle of teaching, I'm like, oh, wait, wait, I forgot something. And I got to sit there and I'm like mm -hmm. digging through the rule book. Also, underlining, I know people don't like to mark in things, but underlining and highlighting your rule book, it's very specific rules. That is extremely important. It has helped me find things so much faster in a terribly written rule book. There are some that are extremely well written. but There's a, always like a hidden rule. Yes. Somewhere that, or like not a hidden rule, but a rule that's no. kind of tucked away somewhere in an aspect of the book you know, that you, you don't know remember. The, the one that I always have the hardest time finding, and I don't know why it is, starting hand size. I don't know why that's so hard to find, but I, I will dig in a rule book for minutes, like several minutes, trying to find out how many cards people are supposed to have. Did you know there's, for how many years did I not know that there was a hand limit in Takanoko? 
<laughs> How many years did I go? And then I told you, and you go, yeah, it's underlined right here in my rule book. And I'm like, shut up. <laughs> There's only a few games that I've played where I don't feel like I have to go reference the rules before I go teach it. But even though I've taught some of these games before, most of the games I still have to go read the rule book the night before or the day before I teach it again. If I know I'm teaching. If I know I'm, I'm just another, another player, I don't worry about it. But for teaching specifically, you'll be surprised how many questions come up that you either took for granted or that you just thought made sense until that person asked it a certain way, and then your nose is in a rule book in the middle of teaching a game. And that just stalls out the whole experience. Two things I want, I think that kind of are, are similar that from your original article, Prepper Brian, is uh, one, if you're able to, if, especially if it's your regular game group, like in our little Slack channel, we'll send a copy of the rules. With the understanding that not everyone's gonna have time to read them. But if four of us get together, and say you're teaching the game. I've read most of the rules. Chuck might have read all the rules oh, twice because so he might have already read them once. I, right? I just he was really excited. But no, or or, or, or send them <laughs> right. to a video. But my point is, if if your players show up at least partially educated, then that teach you've already kind of got a jump start. And then the other thing that you had included in there, I thought was really good advice, is when you're when you're prepping and setting up and you know starting your teach. I guess it's it's moving from the prep to the beginning of the teach. But sure, the I very beginning of the I think teach. We're there anyway. So um, yeah, I think. Making the players responsible for something or, or getting them involved. So, hey, will you help me set this up? And so now they've kind of got a little bit of an understanding of how that deck works. Or, you know. what, or what those tokens are. Or what, yeah. yeah. And then also, that's also practical because during the game, they'll help you remember that. No one's going to forget that rule because you've got two, yourself and one other person or two other people looking out for it. So I think I, I got a little bit of kickback on that, but I want to hear more about that first. So I, I mean, I know we're going to probably transition to starting to starting to teach or starting to play, right? Is that the next teach, kind of yeah, yeah. starting to teach? Starting let's to move teach into like tips for actually so teaching and what, playing. What Gary just talked about was getting them involved in some of the setup, getting them involved because I, and I guess the idea behind that is they they start learning, they start feeling the pieces, they start learning kind of how some of them are placed and where they go. I almost feel like I want the game set up before they show up just because it gets us to the game faster. So, yes. Uh, so Maybe it depends I, I on think, the game. I don't I th- know. I think I, I said in, in the article that ideally you'd have the game set up before you actually start teaching it. Okay. But, like, even when you're explaining the rules, like, if you're saying first you do this, then you do this, then you do this, don't just say it. Have them actually reach out and touch the pieces and okay. do it. I love that. Like, yeah. Yeah. So because I think like the tactile experience really does help with learning the so game. So whether it's in setup or whether it's in during the teaching time, you know, getting them familiar with the components. Like if they're just sitting around talking, you know, before, like while you're setting up the game, that, I mean, that's a good time that you can be saying, "Hey, here's here's this wood. Go put it over here on the board." You know, just you can u- even use that time to help kind of anchor them in some of the the things that are on the board and the pieces and stuff like that. The game I always think about is Scythe for this because you have that player board where pieces have a specific home. Mm-hmm. And I've heard both philosophies on this that, no, let them set up their own board because then they know where everything goes and they kind of get a, at least an initial idea of where things are. I agree with that, actually, with Scythe. But see, for I still want to set Scythe up first. I want them to show up, and then I just want them to start, hey, just pop this there and do it. And I don't really know if, again, it's, it's going to be per person – it's going to like everybody's going to kind of learn it a little differently. And, and I've always been kind of torn on that because I see the benefits to both. Let's get in the game. Let's get it going because Scythe is so much like one of those games that you can do the first turn suboptimally mm-hmm. and still play really well. So let's just start playing as opposed to, all right, let's go ahead and make everybody set their boards up. I don't know. Mm, I think since everyone's doing it at the same time, you can actually explain some of the pieces while you're doing that. So it can be a part of like that setup can be part of the, the teach. Of the, four, of the four of us here, I think I struggle the most with teaching. But one thing I have learned just through trial and error, nowadays I always try to start with the end. So I tell people, like after we've done, like either right at the very beginning or early on, I say, hey, this is what your goal is. This is how we end. And then as soon as possible, sometimes you can't always tell people how that end game triggers until you start getting into the mechanics, right? But as soon as possible, I want to tell you how the end game triggers and then I'm going to try to say it twice because I don't want anyone to miss it I want people to understand this deck runs out we got one more round so I think starting with the the ultimate goal so people understand because if they understand that the, like inside they understand that it's not about territory you control or anything else it's about money right 
the end. Money is money sure. is the win. Yeah. So if you understand, then that informs all everything else that I'm telling you. You're understanding that money is money is king here. Okay, I understand money, 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 money. Instead of you're not thinking, oh, I've got to expand the money. Well, maybe you do, maybe you don't. But you need more money, you know. So I think that's that's important. Yeah, I think that's why uh, rule books pretty much always start with the goal. I mean, yeah. it's, it, you, you need the to know what the goal do. is before you start the rest of it. And I always try to teach the goal. And a lot of times after I've finished teaching the rules, I'll go back to the goal and say, this is why. Mm-hmm. And that way they kind of connect the dots. And it's like, oh, okay, yeah, that's why we're doing this. That yeah. makes sense. Yeah, if you don't start with a goal, it quickly becomes lots of questions as to why am I doing this? Why am I doing yeah. that? And if you can always go back to that and say, well, it's because of your goal. Like everything you're teaching should aim them at that, you know. And and, and that ties into another thing that was actually in your your article that well, we've talked about this before as a group is, okay, so you've got your goal to kind of reinforce the mechanics. And then if possible, use theme as much as possible. If it's a thematic game that where the theme ties into the mechanics, you know, number one, that's awesome. Like we all enjoy that, but use that. Say, okay, and, th- and you're doing this because you're hiring villains to go on a to rob a bank or whatever it is, right? right. So like they yeah. need to understand that what they're doing is not just some abstract thing. It's got like theme tied in. Say, okay, that's why and I think people it clicks. You'll see the light bulb. Okay, I got it now. I, yeah. So know. when a game is by its very nature, just a big bunch of abstractions that we're lay, you know, we're, we're saying mean something. And so when you connect those abstractions with real things that players, that the people understand, you know, if this cube happens to be, you know, corn I'm planting in a field, that's way more informative to that person of how that's going to act later in the game, rather than I'm putting a cube over here on this piece of, you know, cardboard and here. I think and, that's like, like, I just think of uh, Agricola, like, that's how I teach that game, is I make sure people understand that 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 disc. Well, why, why is it, why is it multiplying? Well, because you're you're sowing the ground, and now you're going to reap more. And, right. And then all of a sudden, people, okay, I get it. Don't even yeah. tell me that again. Right. That theme is the shortcut in their brains to understand that abstraction. Yeah. And I think that's kind of a, a tenet just in teaching in general. Like when you're teaching something that's a very abstract topic, you want to connect it quickly to something that, that they can call back to and say, oh, I, I understand this, and that helps me understand you know, this, yeah. this other thing. So most of the guys that I've talked to that demo games at conventions and that kind of forum where they're teaching the same game over and over to a bunch of different players, they seem to latch on to teaching theme more than I do. And of course, I teach a lot less, and I don't teach the same games over and over, but they wanted a convention. They're teaching a new game that their publisher is making or something. They Their first few games aren't as clean as when the last day of convention where they taught this game 50 times already, and they're already bored with it, and they're already tired of teaching this game. But what they, what they always say is that it's the thematic tie-ins that get people playing it a lot faster. And I've always kind of been like, okay, you say that, and I'm going to I'm gonna believe you because you have more experience than I do in this, but I still want to hinge on getting to touch the pieces, and then theme comes second. But they always kind of go back to that. Like, if you can get that thematic connection in their brain, they're going to remember it no matter how right. wonky the, the mechanic might be otherwise. And that's a big key in it is getting – getting players to remember it. So hopefully game. your game has a good thematic tie-in to the mechanics. Otherwise. <laughs> Even if it doesn't, you can you can find some way to do it. But yeah, it, it's helpful. And going back it's to like the... like the mnemonic devices you learn in school, though, right? exactly like, right. like, how do you know the order of the rainbow? Roy G. Biv, you got some kind of... Right. Some callback that gets you there faster. Yep. And now you, you kind of do that naturally with the theme. Yeah, if you're playing Tricarion, and it's like, oh, you're, you're a magician. And here are your stage props. And here, like, if you're like teaching those pieces, then it's like, oh, I know what I do with a stage prop. I know why I need that. I wanted more thematic instruction when we were were wading through that game that night, when we were kind of blindly trying to figure that out. The thematic time would have made that experience. Like, I'm just imagining it. Not that it was a bad experience, but I'm just imagining being taught that thematically. It would have just made that such a more richer first-time experience. Yeah, so anyway, I, I feel like anchoring yourself in the theme is probably the one of the best things you can do to teach a game but i want to real quick and unless you guys have something you want to add just one more thing before we move on from actually teaching the game and that's you don't try to teach a game you haven't learned don't sit down at a table and i think we've all experienced this from one degree or another and you'll probably hear about this from me later 
but don't sit down with the with the game you just bought. You're excited about it, and you get it out and get the rule book out, and then start reading the rules to the players or try to summarize them as you read them. That just makes for a a, a miserable <laughs> experience for everybody. <laughs> and I, I would say the only the only time to do this is if everyone knows exactly what they're getting themselves into beforehand and wants it. You know, I, it's uh, like yeah. I think this is actually the. And you the know they, you know they really want it. Right. Guys and gals that are gamers that know they want it, not your family who says so that they I, want it and they don't really know what they're doing. I'm pretty sure that's exactly the way that I learned Scythe the first time we played. <laughs> 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 we read through the rule book yeah. pretty much. So you weren't you weren't there. It's oh, okay. <laughs> it's, I was like, <laughs> it's really ugly. I I actually had a recent experience with this. Yeah, you did. And can we say where? <laughs> yeah, I, I was out of town for some work training, and I normally don't like text during a game, but I kept sending messages to the crew, like saying, I miss oh, you guys. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I wish I was playing games with you guys. It was like an hour rule dump, right? Yeah. This group ended up being amazing. The, the people, I enjoyed their companionship and, and playing the game. It was an hour plus rule dump for an hour and a half game, okay? We ended up running a little late. We ran, ran like 10 15. We started teaching the game around 7-ish. We didn't start playing the game until like 8.30, okay? So it's roughly like equal parts. Like yes. within, give or take, give or take 15 minutes. I was miserable. Now what, I understand. What was the game? Just You could, you could tell was, us that It much. was Gugong. Gugong, that's right. It was actually a pretty good little game. And I think this guy, one thing is, and I think this will tie into just one last little tip, is you don't have to teach every little thing, okay? Like you want to teach all the rules, but there are some rules you can teach as the game progresses. You can say, we're going to save this for one round. I would say most rules. I would you say know, the majority like, of the rules Sometimes you can way. just say, let's jump in, and I'm gonna, <laughs> uh, and like when we come up, like we don't have to explain every icon, right? Like We can explain the basic icons, and then as you, if you're going to do this action, well, I'll, I'll tell you that, or I'll give you the rule book. No, like we, in painful detail... Well, in your situation, you're, you're around enough people that most of you would have asked the question prior to an action... Yeah. No, and, and that, that also goes along with knowing your audience. If you're gaming with a bunch of gamers, there's a lot of things you can rely on your audience to ask questions for. Yeah. And if you go back to like some of our old microbrew videos, not the podcast microbrew, but our old YouTube videos, where I was kind of experimenting with live action teaching, like here's a game that nobody here at the table knows but me. And those aren't, I didn't do a you know, stellar job we're on every single on. one of them, but my concept for that whole thing was I want to learn how to teach where I'm comfortable leaving the the pl other players at the table to asking questions. And they do that dynamically. There's rules I leave out, sometimes on purpose, sometimes on by accident, and then they'll ask those questions. And I want everybody to be comfortable asking a question before they take a turn. Yeah. And then if they don't ask the question, I'm going to assume that there's at See, least enough intuitive gameplay going on. Th this is a trap that I fall into a lot. I want to teach everything right up front. I do a rules dump, and I... I know better. I do I, it too. I, I know better than to do that, especially with family. I try really hard not to do a rules dump, and I try to make it so that I can do it maybe during the game. It, but I do it every time. Like I, I try to, and I think the other problem is, is that I want to get it done quickly because I know what an hour of rules dump feels like. Yeah, that's not yeah. fun. Nobody wants to do an hour uh, rules dump for especially an hour for game. King of Tokyo. Never no. do that again. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just kidding. I'm lying. I never um, but but <laughs> I like I just I want. I think the other problem is not only am I doing a rules dump, but I try to do it way too quickly. And maybe yeah. we're getting into fails here, but like this is just a generic thing for me that I do that I, I want to get every rule out and I want to do it as fast as possible. And people are just staring at me by the time we're done. And yeah. I'm like, okay, I, I've gotten better, I think, but I, I this is something I struggle with a lot. I, I've actually. done that too. I'll just say last word on that. Yeah, just don't do the long rule dump because like I knew what my first four turns were. Well, while he was doing it, I was like. All right, I want to plan this. I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna do that. I'm <laughs> I think do some that. of this comes from I had the nature. Free time. I think some of this though might be like for Shuck, his nature is he wants to know all of his options before he makes a move when he plays. Yes. So when he teaches, he's assuming everybody at the table wants the same thing. But I, I know that people I know aren't that they like don't. that. Most people just want to get their hands on the, the <laughs> things and start pushing things around. And, and it's more the opposite. They want you to tell them when to stop. They're doing something wrong. Then what but there's they can a balance do. you can find. There's definitely a balance. They don't want total freedom. I mean, that's, that's obvious too, right? I mean, that's why we all sit around a table and play board games because we want the constriction of the rules. Right. But, but I, I don't know. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm too far the other way and I, you're too far that way. And together, when, when our powers combine, we'll be like the perfect teacher, maybe. I don't I know. Think, I think this is why I also own more medium to lightweight games. 
because I I know that's a a problem with my teaching. Oh, that's a good point. And yeah. so I yeah. tend I never thought of that before. I tend to have lighter weight games because and I you're usually the one teaching too. I enjoy teaching those more than I enjoy like if I go to a heavy game, I want somebody else to teach it. Gotcha. Like I completely rely on just Brian to teach Zaya every time. Yeah. Like I never want to teach it. I will say this though, <laughs> I think um in a two player game, when you and I've played some heavier games, I don't mind the rules dump if it's just the two of, like, it's a different, it's true. Just, there are times where I think it's okay. Again, know your audience. Because we're sitting back, we're having a beer or two, we're talking, we're, we're talking about the game. Again, we're just bringing up the columnist. I don't care if it's a 30 minute rules dump on that game because you need to know some of those things. But I agree with you. I think nine times out of 10, I think it's also we a, can be quicker. I think it's also a relative to how long the game is. If the game's mm, an hour, yeah. And you teach for an hour before. Then yeah, it's I mean, a even even thirty minutes. If the game is only yeah. an hour, the the teach should only take ten to fifteen minutes max. Yeah, yeah. that's um, a, that's a really good point. Scale your teach to the length of the game, right? If it's a yep. four hour crunchy game, hey, we might not be mad with a thirty minute teach, right? Yep. But if it's an hour game, and you take twenty minutes, I'm like, hey, look, dude, that's a third of the game. So that that kind of leads us into a little bit of like the the game time stuff, because you're to me when you're teaching a game, it's not just before the game starts you're actually you know, you're, you're doing teaching during the game so that's one of the one of the reasons i try not to give a rules dump unless the game just kind of requires it you know i want to teach those basics so that to get everyone started and then as those sub rules and exceptions come up especially if you're kind of putting this in the learning game mode people are going to be way less offended if like oh but hey now there's this other rule and we need to we need to go over now you know yeah because you're you're treating the entire game as, you know, we're learning this as we play it. I think the, the one caveat to that is make sure you explain it before it negatively impacts someone. Because even if it's a learning game. Or if it does, let them do something different. Yeah, like, yeah. Or say, hey, do you want to replay that turn? the point is for this to be fun, like, right? Yeah, because I think we've all been thought we had this amazing move, and someone goes, oh, no, 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 wait. Rule 31-B, yeah. you know, part four now, says you can't do that. And you're like, okay, that destroyed my past four turns. So saying, hey, would you... Just, you want to just retake that back and right. maybe that might be good for you. you One know? of the things that I do on a first teach is I try to offer advice. If I see that's them good. doing something that's not an optimal move or like kind of detrimental to what they're trying to do, I'll say, well, why don't you try this? You can do this too and try to help them through it the first game. I try to do that a lot, even if it ends up being to my detriment that I lose. I don't care on a first game. Absolutely. Well, I think as a teacher in the first game, sorry to interrupt, but no. I, th- I think as a teacher of the first game, you you should assume more of a role of almost like a dungeon master in Dungeons and Dragons than uh, than an actual competitive, super like yeah, at least a highly competitive person. Now that again, it depends on the audience, it depends well, on the game. I'm glad that Ned was super competitive at our Twilight Imperium four, but we're also playing with a bunch of gamers who want him to be competitive. We don't want him patronizing us, right? And you're playing for six hours, so. but there were times during that game where I needed Ned to kind of hold my hand and walk me through a particular aspect of it so that way I could enjoy the last three hours of the game. And had he not done that, like it would have, it, you know what I'm saying? Like there, that would have hurt the rest of my game. He did exactly what you're talking about. He, he coached me through it. And even better, I think I got to hurt somebody that we mutually wanted to hurt uh, <laughs> as opposed to him. There him you go. That's always good. Yeah. Uh, the one caveat to that is I've, I have had someone – basically try to play my game for me. And at some point I was like, yeah, I realize that's not optimal, but because I, just because it's going to make you angry, I'm going to do it anyways. Then I ended up winning the game, which, you know, there's <laughs> a part of me who was like, yeah, how does that, <laughs> that's suboptimal now, isn't it? You know, but, um, but you know, I mean, I, I don't tend to be like that kind of angry, mean guy, but like there was a part of me that was like, you know what, you were, you were a jerk to me. I think knowing I your to be audience polite, though, you know? I think, I mean, like the, like if you know your audience, he, but, by that time he should, if he yeah, knew you, he knew that, that you're that an intelligent happen. gamer that wouldn't happen. You know, I think, are we, are we kind of talking more that's, that's, about, that's, back to that's, that's definitely not, I'm not going to like take over the no, you, you don't do that that's a that's a if i see something that i know that they look confused on or something they think they're trying to do but i can tell that they're trying to do something else wait a second like, Gary. No, no 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 you're talking about me i did that to you <laughs> on one of our online <laughs> games and you beat me in that game did did, did you I, no i'm not talking about you I'm i think you're about, talking about me no, i'm talking about oh, another thing okay. when i was out of town and well, we were doing a we were doing an online game and i didn't think you quite understood a rule because because i was kind of walking you no, through the game that. it that's might have been twa and I was like, you were gentle with no, that. it works this way. And and I was like, why would he do that? He must not understand. So I start texting no. you. 
no dummy, it works like this. And you're like, I realize that. Thank you, though. <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> I, I well, no, I, that's not what I was talking about. I, I can guarantee that. I, I actually, I forgot about that until now. Um, no, this was another experience where the guy, the way in which he did it, and granted, this is not, t well, this is just ten, kind of tangential to teaching, but, um, you know, hey, just don't be a jerk. You know, like, you said, be nice. You're, you're here to make everyone have fun, well, right? And you're here or to let everyone have fun. You're here to teach the game. Yeah. You're, you need to be a facilitator he, of people, not not a jerk. Like, yeah, the dude, after, after being told three times, that's suboptimal. I was like, I'm going to do it anyways. You know, I don't care. Let me make a mistake, right? Like, I'm a big boy, right? Um, if I lose, then you can come back and rub it in my face. He was the type of guy that probably would have rubbed it in my face. So, hey, you, you can get your, you know, kicks out of that, buddy. Just let me make my move. I think move. most of the time, though, it's done probably more Yo, in good faith. This right? guy was the exception. I think most people are like what Chuck was talking about. Where, And I've actually played where, and you guys have helped me. You've been like, hey, Gary, I don't know if you realize that, but um, that, you know, you could get more resources if you did it this way. Oh, okay, well, thank you. Kind of a, it's kind of a teaching you know? moment, right? It's a way to say, oh, yeah. here's, here's a little bit more of Deep, a deep way of how the game yeah. is working. And then, and then like, know? Duke opens the door, walks in, there's a uh, rainbow star, the more you know, <laughs> knowing is half the battle. No, but, you know, there's a, there's, a, there's a positive vibe to it. There's a way to do it. I think everyone understands, most people understand intuitively how to do that well. Uh, so, so before we talk about some fails, does anyone have any other final thoughts? Or Real quick, um, even after the game is over, I feel like it's an opportunity for you as the teacher to ask questions, feedback, and say, hey, you know, how did that go? What, what do you think we could have done differently? What would have made, you know, hope so you You're talking about post-game? Yeah, post-game. Okay. Like, I never so thought of that. Yeah, I don't so, think I've ever done that. So after the game, like, ask for feedback. You know, it's like if you're the teacher, maybe... Bring some rubrics. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not really. Would you no, fill just, out this just, short form? <laughs> <laughs> just lightheartedly. Hey, how did y'all think or? that went? No, you that's, know, that's smart. Is there anything that would have helped you uh, learn it better? You know, yeah. and, and end it with that, but... But it's a way to hone your, your teaching skills, too, because then you get feedback from uh, the people you just taught. Teaching well, a game is a lot different than being good at playing a game. Oh, absolutely. In fact, a lot of times, I think a lot of us can will admit that those games that we're teaching, we're losing. Yeah, I lose games. most of the most games. Most times, you're teach. not even, your head's not in the game. It's in teaching and making sure everybody understands Yeah, I'm making sure yeah. everyone else around the table understands He's what they're doing. And then are. I'm like, oh, wait, what was, that? <laughs> what was my move? I'll just do this real quick. But it, is a, it is a different skill than being good at a game. And and so even, I, I, even I think that's really smart. I've never thought about that, like developing the teaching skill itself. Yeah. So even there's even more in that tips for teaching article. Yeah. But at the bottom of that, I don't pretend like I have it all figured out. I have a bunch of links to a bunch of other articles around the, the Internet about teaching games. So those are all great resources also. So uh, you can find all that at our website, pubmeeple.com. And that article was tips for teaching, and you can read through that, and you can find all those links at the bottom to and a bunch we'll of other go ahead resources. And put that art, the link to the article yeah. in the show notes, and we may be able to just throw the, some of those links in there as well. So, kind of, and I man, I feel like I've, I've, I feel like I've learned. You know, you you guys have taught me how to teach uh, just uh, tonight. But I guess kind of just because it's it's something that's interesting to share because you can always learn from failure. We'd like to just each share like a, a, a brief uh, teaching fail or two. And it could be something that someone else did or it could be our own. And so I- I, I would Shuck, like to share I, one of Shuck's stories. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, Shuck, <laughs> I, think, I think you want to start, you want to kick us off? You look like well, you're, you're, you're ready to talk about one. <laughs> well, so I, I was trying really hard to think of teaching failures for me. And to, honestly, I feel like all my teachings are failure. I feel like the best tip is to not let me teach a game. I just I hang don't on. feel like I do really hang well. Write that down. Good job. Write that down. Hang on. Just I, note to no, self. <laughs> but but when you said somebody else teaching a game, then I had all <laughs> kinds of flashbacks. Uh, one in particular we've mentioned before, but I'm not going to bring that up. The one that, that came to mind when you said that was was the um, Vikings Gone Wild teach. Oh yeah. Where, man, if you're if you're going to teach a game, know your rules and make sure that the rules that you are teaching are right. Because I think I counted up. You think that we should go without saying, but in this I case. I think I count. Well, it was one of those. It was a, a guy's game that he owned that he's played more. And I had just gotten my Kickstarter version and wanted to play it and get it out because I hadn't played it yet. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah I know this game. I played this game so many times. It's like, okay, well, I trust you. And then he started teaching. I was like, I don't think that sounds right. And he's like, no, 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 no. That's how you play. That's fine. That's just the way it goes. I think by the time we were done. I went back home and I watched through online and then read through a couple of the rules. 
he must have missed at least 10 rules. Oh, man. That's at least, more than I mean, just that a minor mess-up. Like, it's to the point where you couldn't even figure out who was going to win because there were so many rule variations that he made and just changed. And, man, if you're th- rule number one, if you're going to do a teach, make sure you know your rules. Do them right. Because that, that really affected my gameplay. And As I recall, you, you tried to politely call out some of it, right? That's and what he, I was saying, yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, I think that like a sub a sub point under that is if if someone, if you make a mistake, don't just keep forging ahead. Like if someone goes, hey, I think I think that's not how it really is played. You stop, check it, and go, oh, you know what? You're right. Let, let's, you know, like don't be so prideful that like that guy – like you said, he just kept forging ahead, and, and it kept getting uglier and uglier, right? Like it was. Yeah, I still enjoyed the game, and it validated my purchase because I I liked what what I was seeing, but I think I would like it. I still haven't actually gotten to the table since then. You want to fix it? You want to teach it's it right? Gonna, I want to play it right, and I think I'll enjoy it even more than I already enjoyed it. Huh? I didn't know you enjoyed it. I enjoyed the it even with way. the rules, even because I saw the things and the mechanics that I wanted to see and how everything interacted. Mm. Even though I knew the rules were wrong, I still enjoyed it, and I could kind of pull myself away mm. from the wrong rules. But I don't know that everybody can do that. I, I've got a. a I just want to go after you, Chuck, because mine involves you. <laughs> it's it's something I. I wasn't gonna bring it no, up. No, no, I, I, I don't. I, I, don't I was surprised you. we got this far through the podcast without talking yeah. about this. <laughs> I, I really feel here's the thing, and I know you've 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 since forget forgiven me. And I Has he really? Because he's usually the one who brings it up. No, I think I, I, I thought you have. Maybe you haven't. I don't. Know. Maybe there's <laughs> you've, still. A, you've been forgiven. It's okay. okay. I, I thought you had. I didn't know. Maybe maybe I just. Um, no. So I didn't. I didn't teach the end game scoring for the gallerist right. In that, at the end of the game. There are two endgame cards. One of them is for works of art you've sold, and one of them is for works of art you've collected. I did not properly. I remember this now. Yes, you were there with us. You were there. <laughs> you were part of this. I, I didn't teach it. either one of you this, right? And so we get to the end of the game, and Chuck is thinking that he's got, I can't remember whether it was ones you collected that you, and you but you looked at the cards and you thought, oh, I can fulfill you. You can fulfill both well, of them. But the, you, right. the thing was I had developed a strategy over like half the game to do a certain thing, and then I found out it's like exactly the opposite. And see, that's where that's where I felt so bad. It wasn't like, oh, I messed up one turn for you. It was because, and it was such a simple thing. If I just would have at some point in the teach said, hey, now just remember, the black card is is for things you've sold, and the white card is for things you've got in your gallery at the end of the game, or maybe even stress it a couple of times because it's such a simple thing. And I think that's what what it doesn't it doesn't have to be a big you know mistake. It could be something so simple like that. And so I know we joke around about it and this, and that, but I actually did feel really bad because I felt like I took you out. And granted, it was a learning game, but I took you out from being competitive. Man, that that is a heavy I game. I don't it, know though. It was the first time. Don't here's worry my about question. It. Here's my question. Little little on spot interrogation. Before you knew how the rule worked and you didn't know that you were scoring horribly, did you have fun playing the game? I still enjoy it. It's it's a high game on my list. Yeah. Uh, did you also enjoy it? Like so, playing the game the way you. you thought was right. Sure. Still, you had like this the well, strategy in your mind. You had this payoff. You were having a good time making it all come together, even though it wasn't coming together the way the rule book said. In your mind, all this was working, and you were having fun doing it. And then to find out that it didn't work right, you were still successful in the things you tried to do. Even you just didn't understand the particular system, but in your mind, you were successful in the system that you were working in. You were able to pull it together the way you wanted to. That still sounds like a good time yeah. to me. I still enjoyed it. It's it, kind of like playing Concordia. Who cares what the what the <laughs> score is at the end? We had a good time pulling off our little hits. Yeah. Who cares that I didn't read any of the rules and tried to play anyway? You had a great you know, time. Whatever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it's fun anyway. I'll say in that one game, I think. The, the I'm not trying to downplay. No, 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 I think no, no, the rules still should be clear. I, I think in the saving, the saving but, grace there was know. that his strategy, he played the game right except for I didn't clarify the, the two in-game cards. His strategy would have worked had he had another That's my set point. of in-game cards. That's my point. If it worked the way he thought it did, then he would have done everything he wanted to do. I think proper Brian still would have beat, beat us both horribly anyways. So... Um, I'm just talking about gaming experience versus yeah. the actual no, metrics. But but I think those are sometimes we we think that the metrics have to inform our experience as much as they do, and I don't think that they do. I think a lot always. of times the experience can be enjoyed 
despite the metrics. You know, so, I, honestly, mm. I don't even remember who won, so it doesn't matter. I still enjoyed the game. Oh, well, I, I, I would say I would agree with you on that. In that, you know, some of the greatest experiences I've had, I've I've lost. But um, yeah, but the reason why that sticks out to me is because it it hammered home that always teach the end first. That's when I started thinking, okay, I've got to change the way mm. I teach. Mm. And so, yeah, it's a good point. It's, it's a good thing for us to joke about, but I think it's why I bring it up is because it was a learning moment for me. Gotcha. Well, well, Gary, you got to do this. It happened in our group, which we, I guess we tend to be more forgiving oh, yeah. to each other, but if that had happened in a group of people you didn't know. It would have been like, more embarrassing. It, yeah, it would have been embarrassing for you and maybe like really frustrating for that, well, that person on the receiving end. Honestly, thinking about that, uh, it's such a little simple rule, but I remember, and, and I still remember this, teaching games and why I emphasize in-game points so much now was the first time we played Lords of Waterdeep with Gary. I remember I didn't say anything about the, the coins being points at the end of the game. Or like how they that interacted, and he. I remember everybody at the table being like, "What? We get all these extra points?" <laughs> and like the so many other people would have didn't done the last turn or two differently because yeah. they could have gotten a couple extra points from something that I just forgot. One little yeah. bitty thing that you forget. It, they, it didn't ruin our night no. again, but it, it was one of those things where like someone you could have changed who won, right? I just I just remember that it's one of those things in the back of my head. Always make sure they understand. The end game points and then try to fill in the gaps in between. And that's why these teaching fails are not to, yeah, there's something to kind of laugh about, but it's also failures learning, right? So what, what about you, Proper Brian? What's your teaching fail? So mine, mine goes all the way back to uh, when I was first discovering these, these hobby games. And I was really excited about them, you know? Yeah. So it was more, one of the first, I think it was the first game I ordered was Settlers of Catan. So Catan now, whatever. I didn't. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> the whatever was a little too pronounced. <laughs> <clears throat> whatever. So, it's Catan. Obviously, before this, you know, I'd played the Risks Life Monopoly games like that. I'd played some other, some other games too, but a lot of those games, you can sit down and just learn it and teach it all at once because there's a sheet of rules that's like one page, you know? Yeah. So, no, number one, I was sitting down with my, my wife my brother-in-law and my sister. So I'm excited about this. They could really care less. It was more like I kind of goaded them into, hey, come try this with me, you know? So I did what any, you know, normal person would do. And I sat down and I took the shrink wrap off the game and I got it out and I started reading the rules to them. And so actually this experience for me is where a lot of these tips <laughs> came from. Um, we ended up stopping the game at about three hours. Like, oh, three hours of Catan? Okay, yeah. So number one, I had I hadn't played many of these kind of games and then constantly referencing the rule book, trying to read it. It was just a it was a really bad experience for me. I was feeling the pressure of, oh man, they're not liking this because I completely screwed this up. And they're like, when is this over? You know? <laughs> Which actually makes an, another really good point of we're not always teaching people who like games. Sometimes we are teaching people as a way to introduce them to the hobby. And that's why teaching games is so important is because that first experience for them might not just turn them off to that game, but it might turn them off to yeah. the hobby in general. And that's actually what happened. I mean, it took me 10 years to undo the damage of that game and make, make games palatable for, for, for them again. Wow. Like, so, I mean, like it was one of those experiences that, it made me realize the importance, I guess, of teaching games. I offended a lot of my own you know, current rules of teaching. So, <laughs> how about you? Just well, if your if your fail was early on in in your gaming career, mine is very recent. Most recent one that I have. Wait, you make fails uh, constantly. <laughs> I know, I know. It's hard to. to Just Brian is like this, the best teacher of games ever. Um, well, you know, and that's that's what somebody heard, and so they asked me to teach Lords of Waterdeep recently. What? And I destroyed teaching Lords of Waterdeep very recently. A very simple game, a game that I feel like I can teach without looking at the rule book, and I still feel that way sitting here today. And I think the mistake that I made, I mean, the, the guy that asked me to teach defended me recently, he's like, oh, we've been, we've been playing for 12 hours, you know, you were just tired. No, 
I know what I did wrong, and this is my confession. And, and this is a good this is a good learning experience for me. It's a very humbling experience because no matter how good you think you are at teaching a game or how many times you've taught a game or played a game, you need to bring this down to the lowest common denominator. And here's here's what I mean by that. <clears throat> the people at the table were gamers. So this should have been this should have been an easy pass. Lords of Waterdeep for me to teach to a bunch of gamers. And that's the way I approached teaching this game is I'm teaching a bunch of gamers. What I didn't realize is to these gamers, most of them were D&D role players and not board gamers. And so oh. there's many mechanics that I failed to explain because I just assumed people at the table already understood what was going on. Now, that being said, we still got the game done in a reasonable amount of time, but I noticed throughout the game there was a lot of questions, a lot of confusion, not a lot, but there's many questions from a particular uh, one or two parties that are at the table. We're playing a five-player game of Lords of Waterdeep, and two people just didn't, things didn't click for them in the game. Something that I thought was simple is put your guy down and get the cubes and then turn in these cards and turn them in. By the end of the game, everybody had it, but, but this should have been something that they should have had down by turn two. And I was doing what I try to do. I was, try, I was doing the whole, let's just jump, dive in, and let's get tactile with it, and I'll explain the rules as we go. Don't worry about it. You'll figure it out. And that I didn't do it right because I just I assumed too much, and I didn't bring that down. I, didn't, I wasn't explaining enough in the game. And so just because everybody at the table is a gamer and just because this is a simple game to teach, <laughs> I still epically failed this these these this couple parts. I don't think they had a great I think they had a great time in com community with us, and we had a great time talking about music and some other things while we we're playing because it's the kind of game you can do that. I don't think the game itself was one of those bang out experiences that made them want to run back to hobby yeah. board gaming, and they would rather just probably go play D and D. And 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 what a great introduction! Like Lords of Waterdeep is D and D, and just you know yeah. with the IP and yeah. everything, and it could have been a great experience that we could have ushered them into the next thing. And uh, and I just didn't I didn't do it like I should have. And and I'm still trying to figure out exactly what that approach should have looked like. I know what I sh should have done better, but given a second shot at it, I'm like, man, would I have? I probably would have just parted down. I would have explained more, and I would have just addressed everyone at the table as if they'd never played a board game before. And I think that's what I should have done that day. Well, I think like you know, we talk about using the theme as as an anchor to to understanding the mechanics for people who have played a lot of games. Using those, the name of those mechanics, all of a sudden will pop things in, like in kind of a framework into their brain. So with Lords of Waterdeep, if you said this is a worker placement game for us sitting at this table right now, we go. Okay, I know exactly what that means. What are the little nuances about this yeah. worker placement system? What makes this different than the last one? Well, I usually where? say, have you played Lords of Waterdeep? And they say yes. But when you're teaching Lords of Waterdeep, I was, you can't, have you played Lords of Waterdeep? <laughs> this game is exactly like Lords of Waterdeep. Yeah. <laughs> it is. <laughs> Literally. Right, so, but you didn't have that shortcut into their, you no. know, into their brain, no. like to, for them to understand well, that until a little bit that's later. That's an easy mistake to make, though, like, they're gamers. You're like, I didn't oh, know I, my audience. We're yeah. talking about know your audience, and that's one thing. I assume things about my audience, and I but I didn't really know well, them. I think I've run into that, not to that degree, but where I thought, hey, yeah, these are all gamers here. They'll understand this. Well, like if if by gamers they're like big into like like you said, D and D players. They, they played love more complicated games. Yeah. So how like that's what's they, embarrassing is like, they play more complicated they, games they on a regular games basis, but I still fail to teach this. Well, yeah, they play games with more rules, and you're like, yeah, oh, yeah. you can get this, but it's like, but some of these mechanics are still new to them. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's, that's really so. what it was. All right, guys. Well, I guess on that, I'll kind of end on that note that I think it's I think it's important to realize that like your failures, you know, don't feel bad like anything else in life. Hey, you know, okay. I, Hey, now you know. If you approach this group again or another group like that, you know you just I really know your audience. So I feel like I've learned. I don't know about you guys. I've learned some good ways from you guys. On I want to I'm use this the next time I teach because I'm often you know I'm a little scared to teach. I you know I've I've had a few failures. So uh, I've enjoyed our conversation, guys. Yeah. So if you want to hear some more uh, Pub People content, we've got more episodes out there. You can also go check us out at www.pubmeeple.com or youtube.com/pubmeeple. We're on Instagram at, at PubMeeple as well as Twitter. And uh, as always, uh, keep on gaming and uh, have a good time. See you next time. Until next time. Now you got to say quack on. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes.